Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen, the show that we do for our Action 22 members and people around the world now. Um, I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. And Brian and I, this is the first time that we haven't been together to do the show. Uh, we've got, uh, I've got sick kiddos right now who are off to be tested for um, COVID and uh, Brian and I have already had it and um, we have the vaccine, but uh, our kids have not. So um, we're staying away and just taking all the precautions because I think our kids, my kids have it. Uh, we have a fun show for you today and it's a bluebell day in Colorado. Um, and we had wanted to go down to Trinidad, Colorado, which is one of the most interesting places in Colorado that people sort of don't know about. Um, and we've got the mayor of of Trinidad with us today. Uh, full disclosure, uh, Phil Rico is an Action 22 board member and has been for a little over a year now. Um, and he has done some amazing stuff down there. But thanks, uh, thanks, Mayor, for being on the show with us today. Um, tell us a little bit about how uh, you got to be mayor of Trinidad. Well, uh, first of all, Sarah, thank you for asking me to be on your podcast today. And, uh, you know, uh, this I'm in my fifth year right now uh, of mayor. And uh, like I said, I just uh, felt, you know, in 2015 or whenever it was, uh, I never had actually thought prior to that to uh, throwing in my hat for the mayor, but I felt that there needed to be a change, and I felt that I had been involved in the community for many, many years prior to that in uh, many capacities. And I thought, well, you know, why not? I thought there needed to be a change in some, there were some issues going on prior to that, and I thought maybe I can bring some stability to the mayor's uh, seat. So that's the reason why I got in, and, and it's been good. Uh, there's been a lot of things happening in, in Trinidad uh, in the last five years. And uh, so it's a, Trinidad is an upcoming community. Uh, like you said, it's uh, kind of the, the last part of Colorado that has been, not not necessarily put aside, but not been found, and I think we've been uh, been Trinidad is, is is has I guess found its niche, and uh, there's a lot of things happening here, and uh, we're very proud of uh, of the activities that are going on. So uh, when you took over, um, what is, what would you say how it looks different today than when you became mayor five years ago? Well, just uh, so much activity. Uh, when I took over, uh, that was when uh, Governor John Hickenlooper um, designated Trinidad as the first space to create project in the state of Colorado. And uh, that was quite a, an endeavor. And it turned out to be, uh, it started out with about $7 million of a project and turned into a $19 million project. And uh, as of today, uh, just this past year, uh, completed it and started started renting out some of the housing units because it's a live space or live workspace units is what they are and uh, we still have a part on main street uh, that's a community uh, center type that's still uh, under construction uh, but that's supposed to be done hopefully by the end of the year uh, so that's one of the things that has happened. Uh, the other thing that has happened since then, of course, is uh, we have the Fisher's Peak Project, uh, which is our 42nd State Park, 
And we're very happy that, uh, you know, Governor Polis uh, has designated it as the 42nd State Park. And that in itself has created uh, a tremendous amount of interest, not only uh, here in Trinidad, but in the county, across the street, across the state, to the country. Uh, I even did a, an interview uh, with Radio France um, last year. And uh, I asked the gentleman that did the interview, uh, what kind of real, what kind of listeners do you have? And I think he said that they had listeners in France of about three million. So fishing has gone worldwide. So those are two things that have gone, really put Trinidad, I think, on the map. And so we're getting so much interest in Trinidad right now. It's, it's something it's mind-boggling at this point. Um. <laughs> It, there is so much going on down there. And I remember um, I came down uh, when they did, and it wasn't a groundbreaking because you were repurposing a building for that makerspace. Um, tell us a little bit, walk us through what that was like, because I'm sure there's communities around um, around the state and around the country that would love to duplicate what you guys have been able to accomplish down there. Well, like I said, Governor Hickenlooper designated Trinidad as the uh, as the uh, design, as the first project in the state of Colorado, and uh, what it was is we had to come together with, you know, we put up some money. We actually put up about twelve percent of our general fund uh, for the project, and then we also had to go out and we got funding from uh, you know various uh, other uh, places, um, private partnerships, public partnerships. Uh, that came along with us. Uh, you know, Chaffa was one. They put in a lot of money. We got uh, a little, but right around ten million dollars in Chaffa in Chaffa tax credits for that project. Uh, plus, then we had uh, you know other uh, nonprofits that 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 put in money as as well. So uh, OEDIT was a tremendous partner in this uh, as well. So you know, it's just one of those projects that uh, I think if you look deep, you can find uh, help. In creating something for your community, if you have a community that is interested in the arts, because that's kind of what this is, this is what this is all about. It's a creative industry type uh, uh, project, and uh, you're able to, uh, there, there's a lot of money out there for this type of, uh, these type of events and for these type of projects. So tell us just really quick what exactly a makerspace is. What it is is you're going to have live space units. In other words, there's our apartments. Uh, we have two different part components to this. There's our main street, which has uh, it's an entire. I think there's like an entire block system, and up above there's I think there's 13 uh, living units. But down below there's going to be some places where people can actually um, display some of their products that they create. Um, and so they'll be able to live there as well as create their own product and sell. So as we know, uh, an artist, a lot of people think artists are someone who picks up a paintbrush. Not necessarily. You have culinary. You have people that are into welding. We have people that are into so many other types of arts besides just picking up a paintbrush. And then we have another project on, on Elm Street, which is a housing project. And I think there are 27 units there. And those are just livable units. Those are apartments for these people that want to participate. And they, uh, the, um, the rent in that is kept uh, very reasonable uh, because we know that if anybody that's in the creative industry, they, they usually are not very affluent, the majority of them. And so the rent has to be reasonable so that they could afford to live there and be able to create their, their art. So it feels like since you guys have um, 
started that project, that there's been a lot of other things that have um, grown or developed or popped up since then. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, we've had the uh, the Fisher's Peak project, which there again, uh, you know, a couple of us sat down in 2007, in 2017, and uh, we talked about uh, uh, purchasing, um, you know, what can we do to purchase some property up on Fisher's Peak. And uh, then a group, uh, sure, that was in, in September of 2017. Shortly after that, uh, a group of 14 uh, people um, had a tour of the, of the area, and we all kind of decided, well, it's, it's a good project. Let's look into see what we could do. Uh, so, of course, uh, the city of Trinidad was involved, uh, myself and then the, uh, the, the city manager at the time. Uh, we took it to the city council because they had to be invested in the product or in the project as well. Uh, we got the green light to move ahead with that. And uh, then yeah, shortly after that, in 18, uh, you know, of course, uh, who came on with us was that we we contacted the Trust for Public Lands and the Nature Conservancy, and uh, they said, why not? So they came back to us in the early part of 2018, I believe, uh, and they said, why don't we try to purchase the entire 19,200 acres? Well, there again, I had to go back to city council and see if we can get uh, a green light from them to say we'll will support this project. So, you know, took took some convincing, but uh, because the, the, the dollar amount was pretty high, they were looking at $31 million for the 19,200 acres. So uh, it turned out that uh, they were able to uh, get that, that dollar amount to $25.45 million. Uh, and along the way, of course, uh, what ended up happening is uh, Gokul Colorado submitted, I think, $7 million dollars. Colorado Parks and Wildlife, I think, put in $7.5 million. And to finalize the project, uh, Trust for Public Lands and the Nature Conservancy, uh, they put in the final $11 million so that we could finalize the deal. And, of course, their, uh, the thought there was that they needed to get paid back in time. Well, uh, shortly, I think it was in 2019, uh, the governor um, had some, I think, some people talk to him, and they got he got very interested in making it the 42nd State Park. And uh, what ended up happening, of course, is uh, the state ended up, I believe, paying back that $11 million to TPL and the Nature Conservancy. So now it is under complete control of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Division. Uh, they've done a lot of work up there so far. Uh, they had a uh, mini grand opening, I guess, uh, this last year, and they opened up a few miles of trails. Uh, right now, what's happening is uh, they are looking at um, trying to open up some additional trails, hopefully by the end of the year. They're putting out the bid for another 20 miles of trails, uh, and then there'll be more later on coming on down the road. So it's going to be a project where uh, there's going to be the hiking and the biking and the camping and the hunting. Uh, but what's interesting about this project is that that's only 19,200 acres. Uh, that goes to the face of Fisher's Peak. Uh, Fisher's Peak is the highest mountain, which is which would be east of I-25 all the way to the east coast. At uh, eight, I think it's uh, 9,866 feet, I guess what I believe uh, is the elevation. But... This project goes to the edge of the mountain, but then up on top are is some more uh, parks and wildlife pro- uh, property, and that's another 14,000 acres, I believe. 
then contiguous to that is the Sugar Eat Basin, which is in New Mexico. So between all of that project, there's close to 40,000 acres of uh, property that will be open to the public. Um, they're, they're, we're hopefully estimating that all of it will be open to the public by probably, um, they're, they're thinking around um, 2029, 2030 in that time frame because they've got a lot of work to, to do up there right now. Right, right. Um, so let's talk a little bit. Let's go in a different direction because there's some exciting okay. legislation or some interesting legislation that's happening right now. And you've been really involved in some of that uh, and how that's going to go. But I'm specifically talking right now about rail. Okay. Uh, you know, I am, a, I am a, uh, on the commission, the current commission, which the, uh, the Southwest Chiefs uh, Range Passenger Rail Commission uh, that came about in 2017 and uh, done a lot of work <laughs> with that. We've done a lot of work with that project through Chrissy Grants, uh, Tiger Grants, uh, money from uh, um, uh, some of the railroads uh, that have put in money, uh, as well as the state of Colorado, CDOT. And uh, they've completed a lot of upgrades to the rail from uh, Kansas all the way into, I think, the furthest uh, goes into Trinidad, uh, actually Kansas, Lahana, Trinidad, it goes through Raton and into Luemi, New Mexico. Uh, so all but 35 miles has been completed as far as upgrading the rails, and that's um, going to be rails that can handle, I think, up to 70 or 90 mile an hour trail uh, traffic. Now, the, the, what's happening now is uh, Senator President Garcia uh, and uh, Senator Zeng, Zenziger, I believe, put forth a bill to transfer the commission into a district now, uh, which will, the district will comprise from the New Mexico border all the way to the uh, Wyoming border. And it will extend about five miles from I-25 east. However, we know that in uh, some areas like in Colorado Springs, um, I'm not sure about Castle Rock, but Denver, it extends out further than Five miles. However, uh, they have uh, that will all that area in that metro area will be incorporated into that district. So what will happen is it'll allow the district to be able to uh, go out and let me read a little bit of this as to what it actually says. Okay. Uh, bear with me; I got to pull it up. The summary of the legislation, just to, what it says here. It's the district powers is granted authority to plan, design, develop, finance, construct, operate, and maintain a new interconnected passenger rail system. And the authority, uh, this authority will include the power to exercise tax authority, levy a sales or use tax up to 0.08%, collect fares and fees, and issue bonds. Uh, it also has a, this, something people don't like, of course, but it's in there to exercise eminent domain if necessary and create station improvement districts nearing existing and proposed passenger rail stations. And, of course, to enter into public-private partnerships and uh, so, provide uh, retail commercial goods and services at uh, passenger rail stations and employ its own personnel for operation and maintenance of the system. So that is the basics of this bill. That is, uh, it, it went through committee uh, on, that was the day before yesterday. Right. Uh, I was there was so there was a lot of testimony. My was I I testified and it started at about two thirty and went till close to six o'clock. So there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of testimony on that, and I think there were only two people I think that testified against the project. 
Yeah. So just out of curiosity, Mayor, this is Brian. Um, what was the rationale for the people that testified against the project? Uh, they thought in some sense, I, I think the taxation part, um, and, I, and I think it's just, uh, it, if maybe leaving out some of the, one person was concerned that maybe we were leaving out some of the communities in between, but that is not, that's not true. There's a, there, everybody in between there is going to have a say in, in this in this district because there's going to be representatives from up and down uh, all the way from Trinidad all the way up to Fort Collins. So there was some opposition and it was mostly along the funding lines because the funding, uh, and this is a big figure in between, uh, estimated funding is probably between 7 million to 14, 17 billion to $14 billion uh, by the time it's completed. And we know that it's going to take, you know, several years before this is completed, uh, but we've got to start now because, as we know, what's happening with with uh, transportation, Colorado is going to grow exponentially by the year 2050. So, you know, the amount of cars we cannot build enough uh, uh, roads right now for the traffic, especially between uh, Colorado Springs and Denver. You know, there's that expansion that's going on in, in between Colorado Springs to uh, Castle Rock right now. And it, 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 it's a barrier just to go through there. And uh, what's going to happen is there has to be another mode of transportation. The other thing that you've got to look at is, you know, we're all concerned about emissions. Uh, did you know that in Colorado, the state of Colorado, the vehicles emit 35, ton, 35 million tons of emissions per year? So if we could take some of these cars off the road and reduce some of these emissions. It will help us to create a, a better area because right now we know that uh, what's coming, if we get up to, you know, another seven, up to 7 million people and put that many cars on the road, what is it going to do to our air pollution? You know, and the other thing it will allow people to do is between the metro areas, between Pueblo, let's say, and Denver, um, and even Fort Collins, people will be able to get on a train and they'll be able to, uh, to work while they're traveling. They'll be able to look out and see the scenery rather than sitting there trying to figure out, you know, controlling that steering wheel. So it's very, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a good project. We know it's going to cost money, but I think there are a lot of safety issues in there, uh, especially right now you travel, and you can get into an accident, and it'll cause a delay. If you're trying to get to Denver from Colorado Springs and it causes a delay, you may be delayed 45 minutes or more. So, and then in the wintertime, there's a lot of delays in, in, in winter, so the rail is more efficient in, in, in transporting people, even in the wintertime. So, Mayor, is there, um, and, and you just talked about the environmental issues, um, what, uh, how is this going to help uh, on an economic impact? How is, that gonna, how is this going to help those communities? Well, economically, like I said, it'll be able to allow uh, people to live at different distances from Pueblo, uh, Colorado Springs, Denver, all the way up to Fort Collins, and eventually to come down here in Trinidad. And so it'll be able to, to, to uh, economically, it'll allow people to move in different, to live in different areas. So each area will, can gain additional uh, population to, to help their local economy. If they're going to live, uh, they don't want a lot of right now, as we understand, especially with this COVID-19, we are seeing where People want to move a lot of the metro areas. They want to move to rural areas. So it's going to increase the population in some of these areas that are badly needed. So it's going to increase that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the economy in, in, in many of the areas. 
So um, this bill in particular, um, what was it, what is it going to do to help advance that? Because that's a huge price tag, and I can understand why some mm-hmm. people would be a little bit nervous about that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a look at it this way. If you look at the rail systems in other countries, uh, we are so far behind in rail. Uh, you go to you know you go to Japan and China. You, you, you know some of those rail systems are traveling 180 miles an hour from place to place. So what it'll be able to do is be able to also transfer uh, some goods uh, faster along the rail because all the rails will have to be upgraded. So right now, like say the the transfer of of, of uh, um, material from one place to another is, is very slow. So it's going to help the economy to be able to move product faster and more efficiently for all right. along the I-25 corridor. Um, it's going to be an exciting project. And uh, I think there's been a lot of people who thought that it was really pie in the sky, that it was never going to happen or is never even going to get as far as it's gotten now. How realistic are, or let me ask a realistic timeline where somebody in, in Trinidad could catch a train to Denver. Well, uh, we're probably looking at uh, from Trinidad to Denver, because let me, let me kind of backtrack here a little bit. Right now, for instance, the train comes from Chicago into Lahana through Trinidad and then on south. Uh, right now we're looking at what they call a through car service that will come to Lahana and then through car goes to, it'll go to Pueblo and then further north. And then the long-range plan after that would be to, to have a direct line from uh, Pueblo to Trinidad. So that would be kind of a, a, some of the, but very good potential. So we're looking at, I'm going to say probably 8 to 10 years is my estimate on that, on that portion of it. Okay. So that, it could I mean, be it's, sooner, it's, but we just don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a little ways out, but um, it's coming. Sure. Mayor, thanks so much for being with us. This um, We're so impressed with everything that's going on down in Trinidad with the way you've been able to you know, bridge some bridge some relationships. And we know that, that it's not always easy down there and it's it's been a lift, but we've we've seen the work that you've done and we've seen the the way even the county has come back and um, uh, everything great that's going on down there. And we just appreciate everything that you're doing um, and, um, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. So we appreciate okay, it. Well, uh, all right, thank okay. you. All right, thank you so much. Right, bye-bye. When we, when we come back from the break, uh, Brian and I have had a whole bunch of things that we've been working on and a whole bunch of other legislation. So when we come back, we will start to, um, unpackage everything that's been going on since we last were with you. Uh, we'll see you in a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. 
Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back, everybody. It is a gorgeous day in beautiful Colorado. Um, we were just talking with Mayor uh, Phil Rico from Trinidad, and uh, we're excited. We're going to be doing our annual meeting um, down there this year. They just have so many cool things going on, and we really, um, uh, and the college and um, the Trinidad State uh, College is um, our is one of our members is, as is Trinidad and Los Animas County. Um, and it's just a great group of people and they work hard all the time and we like them so much, but we've had, <laughs> so Brian and I are, are um, doing the show remotely because we have sick kiddos and we don't want to have any cross contamination um, with them. There's just a few weeks left of school and you know, all that great stuff. So, um, but we've had a really, really busy, hectic week. Brian, tell us what's happening. Yeah, um, I think you testified against uh, on uh, Senate Bill 200 and yeah. what our position is on that and, and how we feel about that. Um, as you saw in the news, Colorado is officially getting an eighth congressional district. We knew it was coming, um, as we've talked about on the show, but now it's official. Um, yeah. We still haven't broken down the county numbers, so that's the next step. So I think it's September they should have the the census numbers broken down by county, and that's really going to determine where it's at. Again, um, we've really pushed hard for a 
uh, two rural districts. Um, actually looks kind of similar to what we already have with CD3 and CD4, but with El Paso County probably going to be its own district, takes out some of those counties around that. And if we do the two rural districts, um, I think that's great. I think we, you know, we're, it may not be the perfect answer and there's going to be people unhappy with it, especially where they're going to split the east and west side of the state. But of all possible scenarios, I think this would be the best option specifically for our area right. so, that, so that you do have a straight rural district with all these rural values and, and you know, agriculture, um, natural resources in one district versus um, like CD4 right now, I think Douglas County is in it and that's not a rural district or right. you know, some of the maps are like, you know, put in part of Colorado Springs and then add it to this, or maybe a part of Denver, or Boulder, or, you know, Fort Collins, Greeley, you know, all this stuff. Actually, Greeley would be rural. That's, um, that's up there. But um, so yeah, I've been working on that. And um, Sarah, you've been talking to the press about this. I think <laughs> another so interview. Really- <laughs> Uh, I have an interview on Monday. We've had, um, it was funny because my mother-in-law calls me yesterday. She said she was on the phone with um, one of her friends and nearly dropped the phone because she's like, oh my gosh, my daughter-in-law's on TV. And I was like, oh, we've been so busy. I forgot that they were even going to do the interview. Uh, I read an article this morning um, that that said uh, that this is the biggest political story this year, unless Governor Polis decides to resign and go play baseball for the Rockies. I mean, that would be the only thing that would be a bigger story on that. And I think that's funny because for a lot of reasons, but we've been talking about this. I think we started talking with Michelle Gardner um, and how the redistricting should look and, and all that um, back in like August of last year. So yeah. we've been talking about this for a really long time. Our board's been talking about it. Uh, for a while and just about every board meeting for the last four or five board meetings, we've said, okay, this is coming. We need to have this discussion. Um, what we, the board, our board decided on um, was that there needed to be two really um, strong rural districts. And when we look at the maps and how that plays out, um, the only thing that really makes sense is a, a West a Western Colorado and Eastern Colorado and Eastern Colorado districts. But now that we're adding one of the reasons that this is such a big deal, I think, and and you can speak to this, but is that while Colorado is adding a congressional district, other States are losing. Yeah. um, There, I forget all the ones that lost, but the big one was um, New York, New York actually lost a a district and I, it's, I'm pretty sure, I don't want to say who it is, but I'm pretty sure it's a prominent New York um, Democrat that's basically no longer there. There's not going to uh, be that anymore. Yeah. And, and there, were, there was like, there was a few states that lost districts. I think California lost one. I saw something like some of these Eastern um, states that were more populous areas. So you got California and then you got the Eastern side. Um, but what this is a result of, and we all know this, it's, due to the current state of events with everything from COVID to taxation, whatever, you saw this mass migration from California to say Texas, from New York to Florida. Um, You you know, you you look at it and I'm not arguing either way on this, but you have California, which has been in a perpetual state of lockdown for a year now. Yes. And, 
and they've been aggressive with it. Same thing with New York. Um, at the same time, it's harming businesses, but California has some of the highest taxes and tax rate. New York does too. And then they're kind of looking out there and it's, you know, they're like, well, Texas isn't like this. Like we could go there and do this stuff. Florida isn't like this. We can go down yeah. there and live life. And um, I think that's what happened. And you're seeing the result. The interesting thing is the, uh, the seat that was lost in New York, it was by, I think, 84 people. So oh, you're kidding. People, if 84 people would have filled out that census form because people don't, not everybody fills it out, but they lost it by, I think it was 84, or maybe it was 87. Um, that's how close it was. And as we've, we've heard on this, on the show, um, when you're making and drawing congressional districts, it has to be within one person. I so think that's one gonna, person is important. So we're, we're having a lot of conversations. We've talked about it on the show before. I'm talking about it in all these interviews. Um, and the discussions and, and everything. What's, what surprises me is that people don't understand their look. It feels like that they're looking at the maps um, and they're just naturally looking at it from the gerrymandering lens. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're just saying, okay, we want this person to win or, and this person can't win if we do it this way or, or however they're looking at it. What they're failing to understand maybe, or they haven't really thought about it in this way, is that uh, Y and Z is actually, was voted on. This is a nationwide thing. This isn't a Colorado thing. This is a federal thing where it would prevent gerrymandering from happening. So that was a huge uh, campaign that happened a couple of years ago. It was a good one. It's it's the right thing to not allow gerrymandering to happen anymore. And especially now that there, there's been a huge pivot on how voting goes with mail-in ballots. So this year really solidified that there's going to be more people voting than ever, ever, ever before. And so we have to be especially vigilant about not letting gerrymandering happen. But everything on representation, on congressional stuff, it is absolutely about the numbers. I don't understand why people are having a hard time wrapping their brain around this. Yep, it's all on population, which we keep saying, and nobody seems to get that. But that's the that is the one factor of making these seats is the population. Everything else is basically a suggestion. Uh, and real fast, I'll tell you this: this is interesting. So the states that gain seats, Texas actually gained two seats. So when I said like all these people from California moved to Texas, Texas got two seats. Um, Florida gained a seat. Yeah. Um, North Carolina gained a seat. Colorado gained a seat. Oregon gained a seat. And Montana, which it's really, Montana's kind of, that's, that's interesting. So Montana was one of the states that only had one representative. So I think it's like Wyoming. Uh, Montana, maybe Alaska, North Dakota. There's some states that only have one representative. Montana was one of those, and now wow. they have two. So that that's kind of a big deal. That's, that's a, a jump in population right there. Um, and then the states that lost seats were California, New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and West Virginia. So it's a it, it, dynamically like the social dynamics of this obviously you have like you know california like i said about taxation being locked down and stuff but some of these other areas it's like i almost say this is places where you saw more of the um more protests more kind of 
stuff going to civil unrest. Oh, I hate yeah. And some of the, some of these States had a lot of that. So I'm wondering if people just said, Hey, we're, we're out, we're going to go somewhere else. Um, like again, like Florida, um, North Carolina, but it's, this is always an exciting thing to happen every 10 years. And I, I know with the seats that, you know, you're not supposed to gerrymander this, but right. You know, gerrymandering is drawing a district for a political advantage. But, you know, gerrymandering, in my mind, can also be like, kind of like, we went to rural districts. Like, is that gerrymandering? Oh, yeah. You know, is that for political purposes? Is that for um, value purposes? Whatever. And, and I do think we need two rural districts. Um, no, we do. We but, do. I, it's about representation, I think, for yeah. us. And and we may get that question. That may be something that somebody throws at us. Um, I know for Pueblo County is really the one that everybody wants to have a conversation yep. about. Um, and it's, again, it's about the numbers. It's about, so there's two things for me. One is it is about the numbers. So that is the foremost thing that we can't get around. You, we have to have X number in a district. There's no, and, and what did you say? You said it plus by one, right? Like yeah, it's by one. one. Um, I think they broke it down for Colorado. I think the the congressional districts will actually have less population than what they have now. Um, but, but you're right. You can't get around the numbers. That's like, you can't, can't that, get around the that's, numbers. That's a, a fact. Everything else is more of like a, a guidance through Y and Z. It was a guidance of how they're going to draw these to the best of their ability. Um, well, but nobody's going to be happy with anything that's put out there. It's not, there's not one scenario where there's one good map that everybody's going to like. That everybody's going to love. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm, I'm really um, action 22 centric about it. Like, like I really um, have looked at, we've looked at a few other maps, but there's, there's three things um, after the numbers that I think are really, really important. Um, one of the directives on this is to disregard current maps. So that's one of the directives that the commissioners are going to get, yeah. um, which I think is impossible because you have to do a compare and contrast. You can't, the human brain won't allow you to do anything else. Well, and it's and the, the current maps are based on population. And although right. the population's grown, it has only grown in certain areas, not all of them. So. Correct. Correct. So that's number one. Number two is to keep counties whole. That's one of the directives is to keep counties whole. Because mm-hmm. um, if possible. If possible. Um, to keep counties whole. I think somebody's got to really impress me for me to be okay with not keeping counties whole, especially with um, the concept map that we've all approved on. Um, And then when I say we, we're actually working pretty closely with um, Club 20 and Pro 15, and we're going to have them on the show. We're going to have their executive directors um, and there are colleagues on the show next week um, to talk about this because it is such a big deal. And um, everybody wants to know what, what uh, we're thinking and how we're going to push and drive this. Um, and then the third is, is uh, communities of interest. Now, this was an interesting thing that you had to explain to me. What is a community of interest? Um, it's the way I see it. It's uh, communities that share the same everything from, you can't say political, but like economic makeup, economic situation. Um, a lot of people say values. It's like communities that share ag values or rural values um, because Denver County has nothing in it that even like comes close to what Otero County has. Right. uh, People, but as far as like 
how their their economy works, their money, their revenue, what the, right. the number one business is there where people go to school, completely different. So communities with similar interests, it's like, these are farming communities or these are rural communities. These are ag communities. This is a metro community. This is, right. you know, this is a small business community. This is a big business community. This is a manufacturing community. That's that's kind of what they're getting at. So really what their approach would be on on things like legislation and economic drivers and and where what their needs are really. Um, and I don't think that those, I mean, you, of course, everything's political, but I don't think those yeah. are really political um, on that side of it. So keeping those counties whole, um, doing that. But I think for us that one of the big, for me um, and our philosophy is when you have an urban area, like a strong, high populated urban area stuck in with or put together with um, a whole lot of rural uh, district or rural area, um, what happens is representatives, they're really busy, but there's not a lot of incentive for them to reach out, to be a part of, um, to be involved in, um, on the level that they could so, to some of these rural areas. And yep. I think um, if you look at a map of, of Colorado and that you've got the, you've got the Denver area um, and that Denver Metro, and it's just geographically, it is a tiny little area compared to the rest of Colorado. That's very much rural. And even to the point of being frontier, their numbers are so low. We have a County that has like 800 in the Action 22 area, Mineral County has like something like 853 people in the county. That's like a Wyoming county, you know, it's, it's just, and so you're trying to like, how much attention are you going to pay to Mineral County when you've got El Paso County in your district? I mean, that's what we're talking about here, or even a portion of a county in a district. So um, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of questions. We've already heard that there's going to be a lot of pushback on, on this. Um, and so when I've been asked the question, asked, when I've been asked that question, my answer has been, um, if you don't like this map, show me a map that's not gerrymandering. And when I'm talking gerrymandering, I'm talking political, 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 political. I'm really just concerned about our, our communities being represented. And that's it. And it's not too much to ask because we're talking about eight now and we're asking for two counties to be purely rural. That is not a lot to ask. Yeah. And, and the other part of this process that everybody needs to be aware of, there's going to be ample time to submit your ideas, your questions, your comments and thoughts, and everybody needs to do that. So if you're unhappy with even what we have that we're trying to justify from action 22 standpoint, if you don't like that, there's going to be hearings. Um, there's going to be opportunities to voice your opinion, to try to drive the commission to make this map. And they will listen. I mean, yeah. the, the commission is a fair and balanced commission from three parties. You know, you have Republican, Democrat, and unaffiliated. And they did that on purpose to represent the three largest political parties in the state, even though unaffiliated is technically not a party, but unaffiliateds do vote in elections now, yeah. in primary elections. Well, um, I that's been... I think that's been one of the coolest things about all this is that this has forced that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I it, love it. Even though unaffiliated is technically not a party in Colorado, it's a party now. Um, mm-hmm. But, but again, like 
nobody's going to like every map. Um, I honestly don't like the layout a hundred percent of the map. Yeah. That like, um, cause there, there's certain areas because somehow in Southern Colorado in the Valley, which is on the Eastern side of the mountain, it's going to be split right now, all the way to Pueblos in the third district. Um, and going back to what you said, like right now, the fourth district, you know, the majority of the population is in Northwest Colorado and right. nothing down here. So if you add Pueblo to the fourth district, then, Hey, then that will, that you kind of have to pay attention more down to Southern Colorado. Um, but then on, on the flip side, if you take Pueblo out of the third district and you just have a couple counties on this side of the mountain, then that person that's representing or running for that seat you know, please don't forget Alamosa County because at that point, that's not a population center and that's a long way to go over the mountain. Um, so, so again, you, you have these small um, things that I don't necessarily feel comfortable with, but this is the best answer yeah. in my mind to what, compared to some of the other maps that they're proposing. Which <laughs> I, we went, what? I don't get it. It's like, how can you have Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and Durango in the same congressional district. Like, where is, how does that work? You know, or actually a fraction of El Paso County, right? To Pueblo to Durango, or, you know, you have like the third district now, like just taking the upper half of the Western Slope and then following the I 70 corridor over around it. I mean, there's all these. Oh, weird- there's all of these. Um, and, and, and to be fair, the people that are proposing these districts, um, whereas we, we look at rural districts as um, like-minded um, communities and like, you know, ag and rural natural resources, the proponents of some of these other districts where it's like, no, you should take part of Denver and the metro area and add it to the, the rural area. In their mind, they're like, well, this might be a way to get everybody to kind of like get together on the same page because you're being represented by one person and they have to listen to rural in conjunction with the, the Metro area. But I don't think it works like that. If you have 500,000 or 700,000 people that live in one part of your district, right. And then 40,000 people that live in another, you're going to tend to concentrate on the 700,000 people more than the (laughs) 40,000 people over here. Well, and especially, especially, Okay, let me say it this way. We've not seen a good example of what you just described being effective representation. (laughs) If there had been several, you know, we're like, oh, so-and-so has done it and -and so-and-so has done it and -and so-and-so has done it, then I could say, okay, it it might be possible if we get exactly the right candidate in there if they do that. Um, But the reality of it is that they're spread so thin that it's just not, it just doesn't make sense to do it that way. And and I was just going to say, you know, and you and I have talked about this the other day, because I have a strong heart for the San Luis Valley. And I, and I know what you're saying about getting that adequate representation. I totally agree. Um, and, and when uh, Scott Tipton was in office, he never forgot the San Luis Valley, but he never forgot Pueblo. And he just always did such a great job. Um, and there's, I think there's some trust issues as, as far as that would go. But I think that is really what Action 22, one of the roles that we're going to have to pick up on Action 22 is keeping a scorecard and mm-hmm. saying, look, this is, we saw this. And, and, and um, Senator Bennett is a great example. We really expressed that we were worried about being remembered um, as this whole transition with new um, 
you know, new senators come and stuff because there's a there's a time, there's a pickup time. It just takes a little bit. And Senator Bennett has been great in stepping up and and visiting with us and and checking in with us. And he did, he worked really hard. It was a difficult thing for him, but he's gone to every every um county. Um and so that's why I'm saying this now that he's like keeping score. I'm keeping we're gonna keep score on this. Yeah, and he he made a fair point. He said, "Yeah, I'm going to go to these counties. I'll never win a vote there. I'll never win them, but I do represent them." And one thing that that frustrated me in working in politics was that you know you'd have people that were mad that you weren't 100 percent their way. And um, the thing that I would always tell them, it's like, well, you you know these the representatives and senators they they represent every Colorado and or everybody in their district, exactly. not just one group. And sometimes they. I think that they're, they lose sight of that um, because you do, if you're a representative or a Senator, I could disagree with everything you say and I could not like you and I could despise your policy and your politics, but you're still my representative. And that Senator is still representing me as a Coloradoan. Um, and I understand that, but I, I think in our partisan times right now, you know, that, that message gets lost. Well, and I, I agree so much and he won big, big points to me when he said that for me, because the other thing is it wasn't just, he wasn't just saying it. He actually has, has done that. His, his actions have shown that he means that too. So I really appreciate that. Um, can we talk a little bit about SB 200 and what's going on with that one? Yeah. Um, let's see. You start, you're the one that's been talking to the people on the computer <laughs> testifying machine. It's so, like sitting in a committee on Zoom meetings now. It's crazy. So it's so crazy. So there's two things to that. So um, we have a lobbyist, so I'm not a lobbyist. So I'm just going to put that out there right now um, for people who would wonder um, and so that means I can I can testify on behalf of, of our members. And we had so much, um, there, our board was so adamantly, we already talked about this, but our board was so adamantly opposed to this and for, for really good reason. Um, so that whole thing where we're testifying remotely now, I just don't feel as confident in um, uh, the impact of remote testifying. That being said, um, there's some aspects of it that are, that are really productive because we have so many things going on and to do all of that. I, I don't know if I would have sat and listened to the other testimony as closely had, you know, when I there, I'm not listening to other testimonies closely. Um, My, my big problem with this bill, and we talked about it a a little bit last week because I was still kind of angry about it. And I'm not angry about it anymore. It just doesn't make sense to me. So SB 200 is um, an environmental justice. That's what it is. It's environmental. That's what the title of it is. It's something else. Oh, gas, greenhouse gas emissions and environmental justice. Okay. I understand um, what's happening. I understand the, the environmental justice argument. I understand that there are places in this country where they'll put up a um, a power plant or something that puts out a whole lot of greenhouse gases, and then um, the people who work in those are the people who um, are directly affected. So 
with, you know, whatever emissions are happening. Okay. That does happen. And I really understand what that argument is. That is not happening in Colorado. That's not what we're talking about. So the argument for, um, a really focused, some really focused, um, legislation that is an argument for some other state that's some other state to own. That is not the responsibility, nor would it be impactful in any way. This bill feels like, and I'm really going to piss off the, um, the, the sponsors of this bill, but at this point, I don't care. This was a bill, and, and we've seen several pieces of legislation that feel like it's for fundraising purposes and not for serving Coloradans or even serving the incredible work that's been done on environmental issues and environmental policy here in Colorado. What we've done, it's not perfect, not by a long shot. It's not perfect, but it's so much better than what we're seeing in other places. And I'm sick to death with let's introduce legislation that has nothing to do with Colorado, but will negatively and devastatingly impact the counties or the communities on which it would be put. So that's my soapbox on that. I'm mad about it. Um, that, that bill's moving forward. And uh, a bright note is that the governor has indicated that um, he said something about getting his veto pin out on this bill. Yeah, it's, um, it's an example of a bill that's basically campaign fundraising through legislation. Um, yeah. and, and you see it. it, it happens from a federal level down to a dog catcher level, you know, locally. Um, and that's unfortunate because while on paper and, and people believe this bill is the right thing and has, and has good intentions, I think that what it's going to do as it stands now is actually hurt the people that are impacted most by this because it's, we're talking about people that are low income and Absolutely. this will just drive up their, the rates. You know, if I'm, if I'm upper middle class, like, yeah, oh, great. My, my electric bill went up, you know, a hundred bucks a year or whatever, like that sucks. If I'm living paycheck to paycheck or on a fixed income, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Or All right. Or whatever. So, um, for our voice America, um, listeners, we, um, it's, we're out of time today, um, but we're Brian and I still have a few things to talk about. So you can find um, the rest of this discussion on our YouTube channel. Um, hey, Chad Vorthman, I know you're listening. So I am very much looking to um, forward to your uh, initiative about uh, crop mandating crop circles. I think that's going to be wildly, wildly interesting. Thanks for giving us a heads up on that. Join us next week where I ask a lot of more overly complicated questions. Um, and Brian is going to talk a little bit more about how he's going to start a new um, political party. We're going to look forward to that next week. We'll see you then. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.